What an incredible morning already when you think about who God has gathered here across the whole spectrum from ages and places and schools and brought us together to bring us together under the bond of peace in the name of Jesus. And, you know, I can honestly say that even with all the recognitions of teachers growing up, I never considered that as a career option. It was just, it was one of those things that um, my family was in the restaurant business and I was into the outdoors and different things. And being a teacher really wasn't on my radar until after I finished my missionary training, they asked me to teach junior high at the missionary school where we, we were associated with at that time. And this was like three weeks before the school year started. So I went from zero to teacher in three weeks. Having never planned on that, um, not really studied education in school with that, um, it's not that I didn't have a negative opinion. I love my teachers. I love learning. I just didn't have any opinion at all. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it. So when that first day of class rolled around, three weeks after being asked, and I'm standing in front of this small junior high classroom, uh, it was a bit surreal. It really was. Um, I, I mean, I was scared. I was overwhelmed. I was still confused figuring out what it was. I was questioning the sanity of the parents who would send their children to let me teach them with that. It was just this incredible, overwhelming experience. And at that moment, I had a choice. I had a choice. I could either trust in the God who called me. Because that's why I responded with a yes. As I prayed about it, as I, as I submitted it, I really felt like this was not just people asking me, but this is something that God intended for me to do. I could trust that calling. I could trust the God who called me. Or I could trust technique. I could trust my ability just to work through things. There was a, a thousand other things I could have trusted. But at that moment, I was learning to trust God. And you know, for three years, I ended up teaching junior high for three years in that school. And it was crazy. It was exciting. It was overwhelming. It was deeply satisfying. It was utterly depressing. It was crazy frustrating. And it was ultimately redemptive. Because as I was teaching, I was learning. As I embraced this role of teacher, I simultaneously understood I had to embrace the role of learner with that. Now, we're going to take a close look at Psalm 125. We're, we've got one more week in our Psalms of Ascent before we hit the, the different take that we're going to follow through this fall in our teaching emphasis. And we, what we see is a people who are declaring something, but also are learning something as they practice it. Pete asked me a question this morning that I thought was really revealing. And Pete, I think that was from the Spirit because it helped reveal something in me. Pete asked me, he said, what's the biggest takeaway? What's the biggest thing that I've learned personally from studying through the Psalms this summer? And I thought about it. And I thought there were two things that stood out to me profoundly. One was the invitation to do our whole lives before God. 
If we've learned anything in the psalm so far, we see that all of it is to be lived before God. Fear, doubt, depression, victory, joy, life, death, eagerness, reluctance, all of it is to be lived before God. But the other thing is that in that living before God, all of that living we do, it is directional. That we are ascending towards, we are both being called and we are responding and going. And this direction is what we see that I think reflects this process of learning. That it is not something that is just dumped onto us. It is not something that is just given to us when we are static and then all of a sudden we know it. It's a process of formation. And maybe that's a, maybe that's a really good way to talk about this ascent in the Psalms. Is that we are being formed as we are ascending. We are being transformed as we follow into that. So pray with me as we get into this and look at the text today. Spirit, you have gathered this group, these people right now in this place for your purpose. To glorify yourself, to spread your kingdom. But it is also for our healing that you have brought us together. That through the study and the worship and the fellowship and the prayer and the taking of the bread and the juice this morning, that our healing would be found. And it's also ultimately for the healing of the world that we would leave from this place and go as witnesses, as messengers, ambassadors to a world that is sick in need of you, full of beauty and tragedy. You've gathered us here to send us out as messengers of peace. So God, whatever has to happen for all that to take place, do it. Do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name this morning. <clears throat> so let's look at the text. Those who trust in God are like Zion Mountain. Zion is where Jerusalem sits. It's not a particularly tall mountain. It is for the surrounding area, but it, even in biblical terms, it falls, falls short of Sinai. It falls full, far short of Ararat. Somewhere kind of in the middle between Sermon and the Mount on the bottom and where the ark landed on the top. But it was renowned because it was defensible. And it's where Jerusalem sat. It says, those in trust in God are like Mount Zion. We who trust in God are called to be like this mountain. But this mountain was also chosen, I believe, in this for what is said next. It says, mountains encircle Jerusalem, which is true. So while we are rooted, we become strong in our faith and our trust. Ultimately, it is because we are surrounded by the mountains of God. Not our own ability to rise above. Not our own ability to defend ourselves. But that we are yet defended. We are encircled. So it is a, it is a metaphor of placement. Those who trust in God place themselves in the middle, in the center of God's care. And we are surrounded. 
Mountains encircle Jerusalem, and, and God encircles his people, always has, always will. The fist of the wicked will never violate what is due the righteous, provoking, provoking wrongful vengeance. Be good to your people, God, those whose hearts are right. God will round up the backsliders, corral them with the incorrigibles. Peace over Israel. It's almost, like, it's almost like the psalmist is anticipating the questions, right? And we see this time and again in the Bible, and we see it in our own lives, is that we declare one thing and immediately a question arises. As soon as we say one thing, there's that, yeah, but what about? Yeah, but what about? We sit in the Gospels. Jesus, before he's, after he's resurrected, before he ascends, you feed my sheep. The answer is, yes, but what about him? The psalmist anticipates this. He says, you'll never be overwhelmed. I will protect you. And the people say, yes, God will protect us. And, it, and in their mind is going, but what about the backsliders? What about the wicked? What about those? And the psalm responds, God will take care of it. God will take care of it. So what do we do with this? It's been said that all problems are relationship problems. All problems are relationship problems. And if that is true, I would argue that most of those problems revolve around trust issues. In those conflicted relationships, we feel insecure because this idea, this, the, the word for trust here that's used in Hebrew, it, the idea is secured, held fast. That when we trust, we are, we are made secure. Our relationship problems threaten that. Insecurity, it could be argued, is at the root of every relationship problem with that. That whatever is at stake in that relationship is precariously threatened, can be stolen, taken away, lost. In those times, it is impossible, when we don't have trust, it is impossible to invest ourselves in others because of our ultimate confidence that it, whatever we give will be lost. It'll be forgotten. It'll be dismissed, devalued, or demeaned. And so we hold back. We do the opposite of trust in that context. We hold back. We don't open up. We become opaque in that. Yet here, the people of Israel sing a song declaring just the opposite. It is a song of openness. It is a song of vulnerability. It is a song of giving forth. It is a song of investing everything. You could say Israel put all their chips in. They were all in for this God of Zion. They were all in for this God who called them. How is it that they can do such a thing? Now think about this. Think about this. How is it that Israel can declare such a thing? 
Is it because they've never experienced trauma, right? I mean, Israel had it easy. Yes? Come on, shake your heads no. Because it's not true. They did not have it easy. They experienced significant trauma throughout their history. Is it because they were given everything they were asked for, right? I mean, basically they pray and God just responds and give them what they, give them gives them what they ask for, right? Again, right? Shake your head no. Come on, shake your head no. Often we see them crying out for things, calling out for things. And God chooses as to what he answers with. How about this? Is it because ultimately they were saved from the consequences of their actions? That when they sinned, they messed up. God just said, hey, it's okay. We're going to let this slide. No. So here are people who have experienced trauma. They've experienced suffering. They pray, and oftentimes the response they get is not what they wanted or asked for. And they've suffered seriously because of their consequences in this place. They have somehow, some way, and might we see the, what we know as the Holy Spirit prefigured here, got the revelation that no matter how they feel, no matter what their experience or what the surrounding people may tell them, that God was going to do what ultimately God said God would do. Is that they got enough of a taste of it. They got enough of a vision of it. They got enough of a revelation of it that they understood that, yes, God was going to do these things. I think they also had something else. I think they looked around them and looked at the options. Because here's the thing. You're going to trust in something. Everybody here right now, you have placed your trust in something. The question is not, are you going to trust or are you not going to trust? You have placed your trust in something. You may have trust your, place in your, your trust in your own self, like your own ability to figure it out, my own ability to handle the situation. It may be because you've got a great education. It may be because you've been successful in business. It may be because uh, you're just young and you just feel like you can. It may be because you've succeeded at things that you've done. It may be that you've placed your trust in something outside of yourself, a political person, process, or party. It may be that you've placed your trust in somebody else who's close to you, someone who is, you've trusted to act as your savior. That may be a spouse. It may be a boss. Again, it may be a candidate. But you have placed, I have placed my trust in something. I think what Israel has come to see by this point where this song is sung that ultimately placing your trust in anyone or anything but God will lead to ruin. 
Time and again, do you you get it? Do you understand the stories? Do you understand the stories of the golden calf? Do you understand the stories of the Old Testament? Do you see time and again Israel investing their trust in other things and being left? It falling apart, it not working. That God was redeeming all that. God was showing them. God was teaching them. God was allowing them to go through those things so that he could prove himself as the only source worthy of trust in that. I think we have to ask here what the difference between trusting God um, or the idea of what's the difference between trust and faith here. And here's the deal. They're they're really not. I mean, in a lot of ways, trust and faith can be used interchangeably, I think. But in this case, what I see is that trust is more, if we look at it from this angle, trust is more a accepting of the truth. It's a more... It's a more, not passive so much as it is a a resting in it. We see this in the Old Testament constantly, a resting, be still, know that I am God, understanding. And again, faith and trust are, are two sides of the same coin very much, but in the New Testament we see faith as much more intentional responding to a call, investing in a future with that. But here the people say, we trust in God. And in the midst of a couple of weeks like we're having at the start of school and curriculums and boards and new students and things going on, is that not a needed word? Is that not a needed idea? That in, on top of all your efforts and in spite of all your efforts, God is immovable, and God is for us, and God is with us. Does it really matter what we trust in? Does it really matter? I mean, why not just have, we've heard it say, hey, it's faith that saved, just faith, just have faith, just trust. It absolutely matters where our trust is. Listen, We live in a world that is clamoring for your trust. It is clamoring for our trust. It is begging, bullying, and buying it. Trust me, trust me, every ad, every campaign. Saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. And we will either give in to those things, we will give in to trusting our own intellect, our own resources, the false, empty promises of advertising and campaigns and education and all those things, or some romantic notion of the past that we can never return to, or some utopian future, image of the future that we can never attain, or we will trust in God. Now, here's the thing, is when we do that, then we are able to trust reasonably in those other things. Look, I trust my wife. This is not a question of either or. Do I trust God and not trust anything else? This is, the, this is the question of where that trust is rooted. I trust Jane Ray. But I can trust her more because ultimately, ultimately my trust is in God. Ultimately, ultimately, that's where my trust lives. I trust y'all. I trust each one of you in here to varying degrees as I've known you and as we've walked through things. 
But I trust you individually, and I trust you collectively as Grace Church. But I can only do that because ultimately my trust is in God. It's rooted in something deeper. Because we are going to fail each other. We are going to come up short in that. And if our trust stops with each other, that it's only in each other, that is going to become toxic and untenable, shallow. But if our trust is in something deeper, if we are rooted in something deeper, someone deeper, then the full flourishing of trust as it should be between people can happen. And that's the only way it can happen. So how do we do this? Well, we got to use our imaginations. Because honestly, we don't see it. Most of our relationships are fraught with hurt, with injustice, with being abandoned. We are incarnate creatures. And God knows this. God knows this. We are incarnate creatures. We're tactile. We're visceral. We need things that we can see and smell and taste and touch and feel and hear to help us understand the things we can't. And the Bible is full of images, similes, metaphors that help us out. These things are not the thing, but they help us understand the thing. The ultimate example of this is to be found in Jesus. The ultimate example of this thing that points us towards the thing is the incarnate Jesus who came to show us that we could see, touch, hear, smell, and taste God. So that we would know the reality beyond the reality of what we can see. And so we need to be constantly cultivating and developing our active gospel imaginations to help us move continually closer to God. Music, art, literature, dance, all of it. Heaven and earth are charged with the grandeur of God. Let it permeate our imaginations that are likewise infused with the gospel story, guided by the Holy Spirit. And we start to see God reflected in everything around us. We start to see God reflected in the mountains and in the wind and in the water. And these things become ways of deepening our faith in the creator of the things. Not in the thing, but in the creator of the things. We have to be careful, though, because as soon as our eyes are open, we're going to see things that are not beautiful. We're going to see things that seem totally devoid of God. Jenny, I don't, I don't know how, what you thought when you saw the picture of the Syrian boy that's making it around in the back of the ambulance, covered in dust and blood, but I immediately thought of Drew. And this image that's out there of this five-year-old survivor of a rocket attack in Syria, sitting in the back of an ambulance, alone and silent and stoic. We see the devastation of the floods in Louisiana. We see and hear the stories of 
refugees and racism, classism and all the other isms that are out there, some seeming hell-bent on destroying us. We open our eyes to those, we are likewise going to be tempted, drawn into nihilism, escapism, making it all go away. So how do we do this? How do we cultivate this active gospel imagination when we start to see beauty and God reflected in everything, but also see where God has been rejected, where God is not known, where God is denied, and seeing that play out as well? What do we do? Well, we understand. It takes us back to the mystery of the now but not yet. And we trust that God will judge those things. Because while one temptation is to retreat, is to just turn it off, is just to switch and watch funny cat videos all day instead of the horror that can take place across the screen, likewise we can think we have to go on our own crusade to fix it. That we have to be the ones who put everything down. And again, we are called to justice. We are called to do justice in this world. But that can only ever work if we believe that ultimately it is God who is going to achieve that. That it is God who is going to take care of things. That it is God who is going to address every wrong, every violation, every abuse, every sacrilege with that. We have to believe that as Christians. And we believe that when we say now but not yet in the kingdom. Let me ask you this. First day back to school, so I'm going to give you a question. What's the tallest mountain in the world? I heard Everest. It's not Everest. Anybody know? Anybody want to take a second guess? Kilimanjaro? Nope. It's Mauna Kea. Mount Everest rings in at 29,000 feet. Mauna Kea, which forms the top part of it, forms the island of Hawaii, where my daughter Hannah Ray is studying right now, is 33,000 feet tall when measured from base to top. 20,000 of that is underwater. So above the surface, it only rises 13,000 feet. But the mountain itself is almost a mile taller than Mount Everest. This now but not yet often, I think, is, is like that. We just don't see it all. It's there. It's there. We just don't yet see it all. And when we choose to stand, when we become like this, when we trust in Jesus and we stand on that rock, we may not see it all. We may not see it all, but we know that it is there. And when we submit ourselves to cultivate and imagine that mountain, as it truly is, not by just what we can see. 
we put ourselves in the position of learning the most essential things that a person can learn. Trust in God. Is Sean back yet? Because I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this time. I usually see you standing in the back there, so that's good. I want to tell you about this table, those of you who haven't been here before. This table is a work of art. Just in its craftsmanship alone, it's a one-of-a-kind, unique piece. But it's also a dense theological statement of what we're talking about this morning. Because what we see in it is the ancient future kingdom coming. One side is perfectly formed, perfectly beveled, and finished. That is the kingdom as it is. Then we have this middle part, which is kind of rough. It's formed, but it's not yet finished. That's us. That's where we live. This now, but not yet. It's part of that thing that is finished. It's whole. And then you have the natural end of it. That which was which we've moved away from, which has been formed. This table is directional. It is taking us someplace. It is drawing us forward in that. This table is not the thing, but this table leads us to know the thing, the truth. So as you come up this morning, as you come up to, to share in this table, this table that is open to all, this table that Jesus has opened to everyone by what he has done, do it in the trust of a God who will not fail us, the God who encircles us, the God who will bring justice, and the God who is worthy of our trust. During this time, also, if you need to pray with someone, if you need prayer for something, find someone you trust, one of us, community group leader, just someone you trust, it's fine as you reflect. We'll also take up an offering during this time uh, as an act of our worship. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for choosing to start this school year together with God's people in this place. Amen. Amen.